Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Second Act Actors. I'm your host, Dr. Janet McMorty, and I'm still a medical doctor simultaneously trying to pursue a career in acting. If you haven't already seen on my social media, I am hosting a charity fundraiser where you can buy lots of swag and merch and all of the proceeds, 100% of the proceeds, everyone, is going to five selected charities. You can learn more about the five charities on my website or on my social media. Follow us at Second Act Actors on Instagram. My website is www.secondactactors.com. But the actual fundraiser, I know this is kind of annoying, I don't know tech well, people, is my personal website. So janetmcmorty.com. That is M-C-M-O-R-D-I-E, M-C-M or die, get the name right, backslash store. And you'll see all the information about our charity fundraiser. So buy some merch, support these amazing charities, and merchandising, merchandising, merchandising. We gotta love merch. That's a little Spaceballs reference for you, for those of you who have seen that movie. (laughs) Anyways, on with this week's show. My guest this week is Scott Irwin. Scott is an accountant turned actor, and he has an amazing story. He has a lovely tale of dancing in the Nutcracker with his family, but also has a pretty intense story about a pretty dark time in his life, coming out of that dark time and discovering his creativity and his love of acting. Please enjoy the incredible Scott Irwin. Whereabouts are you located? I will usually just cut this out. I'm located in uh, Central California. So I grew up in Bakersfield, California, uh, known known for uh, Buck Owens and Merle Haggard and Corn came out of Bakersfield, the band Corn. And uh, I like to say I'm from the streets of Bakersfield because that's a good song. And I live in a community just east of there called... Lake Isabella, and it's up in the hills of Sierra Nevadas, um, about an hour away, beautiful canyon that I drive through every day to get to work, and uh, uh, it, it's, it's been neat. I, I lived in Bakersfield for many years and ended up um, in 2019, my, my life just crashed and burned around me. <laughs> I... Uh, 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 I, uh, had bought a business in 2016 and it was probably the, it, not probably, it, it was, a, it was a challenging, I bought a job and I ended up just burning myself out mm-hmm. and, uh, just really crashed and burned and ended up, uh, part of that was a marriage and part of that was the business and I literally was shutting down my business and, um, it, as COVID hit. So just as COVID hit, I was sort of in that process of rebooting, I guess. <laughs> and it really was, it was a reboot. I mean, I, I, I was in a dark, uh, dark place, uh, as far as, you know, depression wise and existentially wise. And I began writing 
uh, about that time, and I started a, a, a blog just posting stuff, mostly just for myself as a personal journal, but um, and I, I started this thing called Life is Like Us, and it, it became a um, sort of a, you know, all the things of how life sort of just came out of me. And I was also writing, I was writing a book at the time. So, um, but I, I began writing and then I found a, a, uh, a group in, um, on the internet that uh, best thing I could call it would be like a training academy. And, uh, it was uh, four actors and, uh, and I just kind of got into it and, and it, it was, it was really a lifesaver during COVID because, uh, you know, we had Zoom. I, first time I'd introduced to Zoom, and for most of us anyway, and I was going to classes, you know, several times a week and even a couple times a day sometimes. And, um, you know, meeting actors and directors and writers and um, managers, producers, um, interacting with all all these other creative people and uh, kind of realized, I think, you know, Hey, I I think I'm going to try and be an actor. (laughs) So that's kind of how, how my, my journey started. Um, And then uh, I I did that for about a year and I, I started kind of putting myself out there and ended up getting some background jobs. And uh, that's kind of how I, how I got started you know, through this, through this thing. Wow. I think your story really resonates with not only me, cause I went through a very similar like introduction to the industry with like time wise being COVID and stuff like that and zoom. But I think a lot of people, there is kind of this catalyst sounds like a dramatic word, but like shift, right? That people go through at some point in their life that I think you realize, like for you, was it, for me, it was a lack of creativity and a need for more creativity. Was it that for you or what was the drive? Like, how did you even seek out something like this acting class? Well, for me, it was, it was a, a time of you know, there's that, there's a saying when everything changes, change everything. And, um, I, I, you know, I was literally living with my, um, 86 year old father at the time, still do. And I was, so I felt like a little bit of a teenager sort of figuring out myself again. And, um, the catalyst kind of led to, me questioning what was going on. And, and when, when you're sort of rebooting, like I was, I always, I use that term. I was really kind of a, uh, you know, when you go down to, when you go down to a low place and you start climbing out and exercising and, and writing and, um, then you begin to go, well, where, you know, if I'm not happy now, where was I happy? What was making, you know, where, what points in life, um, did make me happy. And I looked back at the last decade of my life and I said, you know, the most fun I had was, um, 
dancing with my kids on stage. And so, you know, I, as an accountant, you're, I'm in my head a lot and you're quiet and you're not interacting with people. And my kids began dancing years ago and I, I volunteered to be the nutcracker in the ballet. Um, they had a pretty big production. And so I look back and I said, you know, I really enjoyed that. And I wonder if I could do that. You know, is, is this really something that I could do? And, and anything's possible with enough education and enough um, desire to do it, you know, and it's just going to be at what level am I going to get to doing it? You know, if you shoot for the stars, you might make the moon kind of thing. Well, you know, okay, maybe I won't become Keanu Reeves, but you know, I might, I might be a great character actor or I might be that, you know, that, that uncle or the detective that's always in this thing. And so it, it really became this, this desire to explore that and realize that I've, it made me happy. You know, it, it was something that made me, that I enjoyed doing, performing, being on stage, and um, and being f uh, fully present. Because I, what I was doing was about 40, 30, 40 minutes on stage all at one time. So you have to be present, and I did it for 10 years, you have to be present in that moment, engaged with the other actors on, the, on stage, the other dancers on stage, and... I don't know. There was just something really enjoyable about that process. And so that's kind of where I decided to kind of dig into it and see if, see if I could do it. I was and I wasn't. Um, I, when, I, when I was growing up, my mom was a part of a women's choir. And I remember being uh, two, three, four, five years old. And she, she'd go to this women's choir. And it was like having a whole bunch of ants, you know, and they were all these sweet ladies and some were really, you know, elderly and some were, you know, it seemed like my mom was one of the younger ones, you know, and I was the only kid that seemed to be there. I don't remember any other kids being drug along to this thing, you know, like we were playing in the hallway. It was just me and these ladies. So my mom and I would sing in the car and we would, she taught me to harmonize. And then I'd go to these choirs and I'd sing with her. And, and then I think sort of like a, a little, you know, pet, they would give me a song and put me on stage with them, you know? And so I remember being five years old and singing, I'm a Yankee doodle dandy at, at the County fair, you know, in a, in a red, white, and blue, uh, you know, vest and, and top hat and, you know, doing this thing. And I, I and then they put me on, I, I did some, uh, there was some local channel programming, uh, kind of a Woody's toy circus was that he was, he owned a toy store in town and he had this show. And for some reason they got, a, they got on it and they put me on there and I was singing all I want for Christmas was, is my two front teeth, you know, and I remember my mom literally drawing hieroglyphics, hieroglyphics to teach me the song. And so, you know, all I want for Christmas, I don't want a fish or I don't want a dog or I don't want a horse, you know. And that's how I learned to, to do this song was by her little, you know, before I could read. 
and uh, practicing this song. And so they, they put me on stage and I, I did this and I, I had a, um, and I performed in the local, um, summer stock, you know, park and recs, you know, program, uh, that was, uh, what was it called? It was called the due to a lack of interest tomorrow has been canceled was my first show. And, um, and then I got into high school. I don't remember performing much. You know, I didn't, it wasn't something that I said, Oh, I really want to perform. I just did when it occurred. And I got into high school and I, um, ended up in choir and I really enjoyed it and had a good time with it. And, um, uh, and then my senior year, I was in a, a smaller group within the choir. They had a madrigal group with 16 kids out of the full choir where we sang, you know, everything from the, uh, you know, harmonizing songs and, and, you know, uh, male and eight males, eight females. And we do little, little dances and go to the local uh, places to perform. And then my senior year, I was in a, um, I was in South Pacific as my like spring of my senior year, I was in the South Pacific and I, uh, I was part of the choir background sailors in, in the show. And I, I remember, uh, one of my best friends from choir, a, a gal was playing the main character. I forget her name. Um, and, uh, so I really wanted that lead of uh, Emerald, I think is, is the, the male's name in, the, in that movie. And I got beat out by a foreign exchange student and I, it just annoyed the heck out of me. But I, I loved performing and I loved dancing. We had little dances that we did. And I think if I'd found that my freshman year, I probably would have been a theater kid. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just didn't, but it was like senior year and then off to college and, um, and all of that. And so I kind of, you know, I, I didn't, after high school, I didn't really perform at all. I, um, uh, ended up getting a business degree and, um, and becoming, eventually becoming an accountant out of, out of college down in Los Angeles. And, uh, so, you know, kind of my first, my first act, so to speak, was, um, was being an accountant. And I, you know, I'm surprised that I, I, I lived it as long as I did. Um, you know, I had many different moments where I tried to, tried to get out of it. And then it just kind of like, like the Godfather would say, Al Pacino just kept sucking me back in, you know, you know, and, and it's, you know, you know, that thing, because if it's, it's hard to probably, it's, it's really hard to go, well, I could go do this. I could go be a, you know, a counselor, but medical draws you back in because it's worth so much. It's so valuable. It, it's a good living, right? Same thing with accounting. Um, I could go, I, I'm going to, for, for a period of time, I was in, I was a commercial real estate and I, 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 I left accounting and I got into commercial real estate and I started my own real estate company right at the height of the the decline of the market. Right. And, um, 
And then I had to give, I chose to give that up and go back to work so I could feed my family. And um, so anyway, that's kind of how I, how we got there. I th- I think about this a lot with the whole fin- finances and, you know, literally f- feeding yourself. Like when you're an adult, you have adult responsibilities. And as much as I love acting in the arts and all that stuff, my adult responsibilities are still there. And it's okay to have something that provides financial freedom to cover the adult responsibilities, but also be an investor in my acting. And I think there is a bit of a, I hate to use the word guilt about that because I worked damn hard to get where I am financially and academically, but I think there's huge value in that. And yeah, it's a temptress, right? (laughs) Because it's hard to make money as an actor. You're sitting there going, well, I could go do this for nothing, or I could go make money in the thing that I don't particularly enjoy, but I'm really good at, you know, and, uh, and I, I feel very accomplished in it, but I really don't like doing it, you know? (laughs) So, uh, that kind of became, uh, you know, I, I kept circling back to it, uh, you know, during that time. How did you actually get into doing the Nutcracker? Like, how did that come about? And how did that decision get made in your mind to be like, yes, I accept? It, it really was a part, uh, it's really my son's story. Uh, my son, my oldest uh, son with my ex-wife, is named Austin, and he, in his kindergarten class, they had some little talent show, and he wanted to dance in the show. And so he convinced some kid, some other kid in his class, to dance with him, and they got up on stage and and, and danced to the show. And we, you know, it was kind of one of those, we come in, and we're in the little gym there, and we're all sitting on, you know, metal chairs and watching this thing, and he gets up, and the, the other kids just sort of, you know, dancing a little bit and my son's boogieing around the stage, you know, and we kind of said, well, I guess he's a dancer. Wow. That's cool. <laughs> you know, he was just having all this joy doing it. And, um, and about a year before that, uh, he, he went to, his mom took him to a, a show. I want to say it was a princess in the P, you know, uh, local community show near our home. And he said something about, I'd really like to do that. You know, that's kind of cool. But then we were, uh, we had settled back in uh, our hometown of Bakersfield. And he, he had, I think they had started dance lessons and they had gone to the, to the studio's performance of the Nutcracker. And um, it was my wife and him and probably the other kids were there, but he, he watched the whole show and he turned to her afterwards and said, you know, I, I, I'm going to do that. I, I, I've got to do that. And she said, what, dance in the ballet? Yeah, there's there's not enough boys. And, you know, because all the girls would play the boys' parts in the party scene and all this. And so, okay, so they, they got in, he got into it. And the other two younger kids started getting into it as well. And uh, I want to say the next year he he got a role in the, you know, in the show 
and all three of my kids, my two boys and a girl, began dancing. And after a show or two, after a year or two of this, I realized we're going to be here a while. This is going to be something that we do, right? And we were doing swim team and we were doing baseball and basketball league and and exposing the different things to see what was interesting to them. But dancing stuck. It was That was what they wanted to do. And so uh, the guy that was doing the Nutcracker, or playing that part, um, was um, a guy that I um, knew. And he, he, his, he'd been doing it for 20 years. And his daughter was graduating that year high school. And I figured, well, he must, you know, probably give it up. And so I sort of just went to the studio owner and said, uh, Hey, you know, I don't know if, if his name was Marvin, I don't know if Marvin's going to give this thing up, but if he does, you know, I wouldn't mind, you know, doing it. And, uh, and I was, um, I was doing karate at the time. I tried to get the kids into karate and, they they did it for a little bit, but I really loved it. <laughs> I was like, oh, I like this. This is fun. I'm going to keep doing this. And so I got a black belt, and they're like, got about halfway through and bailed out, you know, and I'm okay, now I got to finish this. So I finished it, and then I got into uh, Aikido, which is a different type of, of uh, martial art. And, um, and so I was very used to using my body and moving and kicking and spinning and turning. So, uh, it wasn't like I just went straight into it and said, Hey, I want to be a dancer. I, you know, I was, I could, I could move. And, um, and so anyway, I volunteered the next year they gave me a tryout and they put me in as a, as a understudy. And then the next year I was on stage. And so they gave me a couple, couple of performances and we shared and Marvin ended up hanging around for a few more years. So we shared the role for a little, couple of years, and then he kind of bowed out of most of the stuff and kept uh, uh, stayed on. But and they and then I be I was the Nutcracker, you know, and uh, um, so that's kind of how I got started. And I was taking classes with my kids, and so the two boys uh, were would get in. They'd invite the two boys for partnering classes, and then they invite me, and so I'm I'm there partnering with with all the kids, uh, young ladies that were in the class and the, the, uh, and, and working with some of the, uh, uh, dance teachers as well. And, um, um, and it, it just became what I, what I was doing. Uh, and it was, it was just, it was fun. It was a good time, more fun than I thought I could ever have. I mean, it was just a lot, a lot of good time. And what a, what a cool thing to do with your kids, like not only like role modeling for your children, but role modeling for like other parents, I would think. Yeah. The, uh, I, I guess I, a lot of parents, I, I was always that person that I didn't mind. I did. I never felt um, awkward in front of people on stage or, speaking or, um, performing. I, it just, it felt natural and, and, you know, but some people they're like, wow, you're, you're like fearless up there. And I, well, you, you kind of gotta be, you know, it's, I don't want to, I don't want to look silly. So I got to fully commit, you know? And, 
it, uh, it, it was a lot of fun, I guess. And I, I kind of did it for them in the sense that I, I always said, well, if my kids, you know, were going to play baseball, I'd be out there coaching baseball or I'd be doing, you know, showing up at the swim meets or the football games and try and trying to be involved and, somehow and uh, I just realized that was what we were going to do so I wanted to be involved with them and what they were doing and uh, and it was it was fun to do what is it about performing that you like that you love I think it's a little bit of the the joy of performing of just doing something that's that's just free you know as a, as an, an accountant and a financial analyst and a different roles that I've had in my career. Um, it's so structured and, and so regimented and, uh, you're always looking at, I was said, I was looked at yesterday, you know, as an accountant, you're looking at what happened yesterday because you're not really doing too much budgeting or forecasting at times. You're, you're keeping track of, of what you made last year or, what the financial statement said last month, last week, last quarter. And so it just became um, this regimented life that when I was performing, I could be fully present in this moment and I could pretend to be something else. And lo and behold, I think I liked doing that. <laughs> you know, I, I liked being a little goofy and you can't be goofy in finance. You know, they, they, be, they begin to think that, uh, you, you know, you can't show up in a costume when you're, you know, an accountant. <laughs> so I think that's it kind of it. What does life look like for you now? Are you still working as an accountant? Have you shifted fully into acting or what does that look like now for you? There was a period of time when I got out of accounting and I became a real estate broker and um, and then went back and became an accountant again, an auditor. And, uh, I, when this happened, when I crashed and burned and rebooted, I decided, you know, I don't care what I do, but I'm not going to do that. I, I, I commit to myself that I'm not going to go be an accountant. Here. I, you know, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> and so I, uh, I'm kind of marrying the best of both worlds. I work for a, a commercial real estate company as a you know director of analysis basically so as he as deals come up and needs um needs analysis on those opportunities i'm i'm there creating spreadsheets and um you know pro formas to figure out is it does this deal work does it make sense how much is going to cost what do we think we're going to make um and then using some of my um, experience with larger companies to try and create some processes and improvements in what would be a small family business um, and trying to, you know, take it, elevate it a little bit in operations wise where I can and where it makes sense to do so. so that's kind of my day job is analyzing real estate. Do you notice you've pulled anything from your job currently or your work as an accountant into an acting career? I think one of the, one of the things I think makes me possibly a good, good actor was something I, um, I 
read in I forget the books, but it's it's basically the that all all actors have an element of observation. So in order to become a character, you have to either know know within yourself what that character is and have some connection to it. But you also are very uh, observing. So you observe people and you mannerisms and what their what appears to be their motivation and what you know what is this and what is that and and we become stores of moments, right? You you watch somebody on the street and go, wow, that's an interesting person. Look at how they they react or how they're they're moving or they're limping or they're um, reacting to that person cork in front of them. And, and I, I just, I think I've taken that observational skill, that analysis skill that I have with numbers. And I've tended to take that into acting to try and how do I of observing how to bring that thought into it. And I think that comes with, life experience as well too right you've experienced and observed just by the nature of being on this earth for longer you've observed people and stuff and felt things i'm not a great actor in the sense of knowing all the different techniques that are available to people but but we 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 draw from our experience and the more experience that we have you know the the pain that we feel we can put into a character and the the joy that we felt in different moments we can you know and we can bring that process forward into our character and um you know and become that you know live that feeling again in some shape or form or some essence of it but also the things that we haven't necessarily lived trying how do we observe those things in other people and and bring that into that that role when i talk to people who went to theater school you know about what the advantages are a lot of them speak to the technique right they learned meisner utahagen they read chekhov and all this stuff and can pick it out in different classical theater things where which is lovely but i think that's great but if you can't actually hone in a technique for yourself it doesn't matter if you know the masters right like i have the janet mcmorty technique of just having lived my life and witnessed life in front of me and I'm not saying that there's one way that's better or worse or anything like that. I mean, I'm kind of jealous that people got to go to theater school. It sounds like it's a lot of fun. But, yeah, I think that's great that you can label something. But if you can't feel it, it's just an, another academic exercise. Acting is not pretending. It's being, right? It's mm-hmm. it's getting into that character and be, being that character and whatever gets you there is your technique. And some people have had the benefit of years and years of classes. And uh, some of us have have to wing it, you know, <laughs> like, okay, I think this is it. And this, you know, and 
by nature of being the second act of, of things. Um, and I, I've I've done a little research enough to know that I, my style is more along the lines of Meisner and his mm-hmm. techniques um, of not necessarily having to you know the, become that. I, I don't think I could be a method actor. I, I you know. It, it's strange enough to live in my own head. I don't want to live in somebody else's for that long, you know? So, uh, so I like just being able to turn on that character and step into it for a moment and then turn it off and, and get out of it. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, that also can come with, again, life experience is recognizing what you need as a process and, everyone will tell you that their process is the best way and the only way and the true way and all that stuff. But I think the life experience gives us the advantage of saying, no, I know what works for me because I know what's in my head and I know who I am as a person. And this is what I need to flourish and be as authentic, genuine and real as an actor. (laughs) Is there anything that you've noticed has surprised you about acting or the entertainment industry in general? You know what really surprises me about the entertainment business is as much of a process of years and years that it takes to get a movie made or a show made and the amount of time that goes into the writing and the planning and the producing, that being the actor seems like the last step. (laughs) <laughs> you know, it, I, I, I'm all, I'm just surprised how I'll get it. I'll get a notification or I'll see something that says, you know, I get it. Okay. You have an audition, you know, do a self tape, but it's got to be in, in 24 hours or 36 hours like or tonight. Like didn't, aren't they, you know, can't they give you a, a day or two to think about it? You know, I, or, and it, it just, that that's what surprises me, I guess, is that there's they they bring the actors in almost at the last minute. You know, maybe, maybe the you know as, as you get towards the the higher levels, you know, you 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 know you've got a job that starts way out there. But but for the background and the and the little roles, it's just like okay, we need somebody Saturday. Can we? This is Wednesday. Oh, yeah, get somebody in. You know, and. It just seems like the actors are the last thing that gets thought about. Um, or just how little time you have to try and do an audition, you know, and get, get into that is, is the thing that surprises me the most. Having come from this place where you got to plan your life, right? You're right. You, you, we're planning our life. We've got to plan the work that's ahead of you. We're trying to plan for... Um, you know, next month's vacation, all, all these things that we plan in life and, and acting and auditions seem to be just this spur of the moment thing. I agree. It's weird because like you're saying, nothing else about the product that's being created, the film, the television show or whatever, is like that. It's very planned out. And I think we as the actor think that everything revolves around us. We're the center of the solar system. When really, it's brutally obvious when you're on set and everyone's like, nah, get out of the way, get out of the way. Uh, How you are just this little cog, an important one, an essential one, 
but a very small cog in a huge wheel. I saw that and learned that a lot when when I was dealing with the Nutcracker because mm-hmm. I, I did it for 10 years and there were, you know, hundreds of kids in this show. So they'd have a couple different casts of, so they'd have backups for different roles. And, um, and you just realize, yeah, I'm here. I'm just one performer in hundreds of performers that are all here. And I'm, even though the show is named after my particular character, it's really about all these kids, you know, and, and it's just fun to be a part of that ensemble and to, uh, to have that valuable experience working with such a big group of people and, and becoming, being appreciative of how well organized it is. And, um, but even that, you know, the auditions were in the summer for the December show, you know? And so it's, um, it becomes this, this thing that you're gearing up for. And then to go start auditioning and you realize, wow, they're going to film on Saturday and they're auditioning for me today on Wednesday. Wow. That's man. That's really. Yeah. Film and TV is a, different beast i find you know than well not i find i know than compared to theater and also i find it's interesting because in theater you kind of envelop and become more into the character because you can you have this time and you're with this i know the play that i just finished you're with this character for so long because you're rehearsing and practicing and on stage and it's organic and it's changing and then like you get on set and you're like okay cool here's this character that i've like developed and talked about and made and she's a real human and then they go okay do your lines okay ready go one take you're done okay bye yeah thank you we're wrapped but this person i created and they're like yeah you're fine okay hope to see you again soon it was a it was a student film I was working on, and I had one line. I was a, I was a coma patient, right? And uh, and I was in the bed and and with my eyes closed, and and I was supposed to wake up and say, you know, uh, Adrian, you know, whatever it is. And uh, uh, and we got to that, and I said it once, and they go, oh, okay, great, all right, we're cut, we're moving on. Like, can we try that again? I'm not sure that was the best one but okay (laughs) yeah you're like all right i remember i think i was reading something about i can't remember it was from but it was all about how when you're obviously when you're on the stage you can kind of change things night to night evolve the character and it's all about you being like making the character the best and you're in control of that we're on film and television. <laughs> you could just be standing there and the director would say, say your line exactly like I'm saying it. Just repeat after me, Adrian. And you would go, Adrian. I'm like, okay, perfect. You're done. It's not your job to like make the character look good. They'll make you look good and like post and stuff. Which So it kind of takes, one, it can take the pressure off, but it also kind of takes the like power you have away which can be frustrating mm-hmm. yeah. do you have any interesting on set or on stage stories 
yeah, yeah. I um, uh, one of my first real experience um, working on set was doing some background work uh, in 2021, and I it was. Uh, it was for a movie that was by Damien Chazelle, I think, who did Whiplash and La La Land. I may have said his name wrong, but Damien. And um, it was really the first big production post-COVID. And it comes out in December, I think, of this year. And it was six or 700 guys playing a uh, crusader uh, d- dressed up in crusader costumes. By the time this air, this podcast airs, I think it will be, have been out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's called Babylon, but it, w- the f- six or 700 guys and gals, there was a few gals in there too, that were all dressed up. And uh, it's a movie about the transition between, talkies and and silent movies or silent to talkies mm. and we're we're the movie set right so they're it's a movie showing filming us making a movie and it was middle of summer we're in these huge bulky costumes and and we're out in the middle of nowhere in uh, Simi Valley, Los Angeles. And, um, you know, we're, we're, go- we're going out and they'd go, okay, come on, all you guys. And we'd all march out onto the field and then they'd set us up and it'd take a half hour to get us all in position. And then they'd film us for a few times and they go, okay, thanks. Everybody back to the tents. And so we'd all walk back to the tents and, and, um, uh, and, and I've been on set a couple other places and pe- people are talking, they go, Oh yeah, I was on this thing. And it, it's now sort of become this, this thing. Like I survived that particular day, mm-hmm. you know, I was on the set just a month or so ago and this guy's chatting over here and, and he's, Oh yeah, I was on this thing. And, and you go, Oh, you were there too. I was there. Yeah. Oh man. That was, that was a hard day. What did he, Oh yeah. It was like 17 hours and a hundred and, degree weather in those costumes. And so it, it's really this interesting um, looking back, you know, on it and meeting people at, on different sets. Yeah, I survived that, man. That was, it was crazy. Wasn't it? Yeah, it really was. <laughs> Bonding experience. My, my, oh yeah. My first uh, onset experience was as background as well too on uh, it's already been released, but nightmare alley by Guillermo del Toro. And it was so cool. They had built this 1940s carnival. And my now good acting friend who I've had on this podcast, we met. And again, we talk about these days that we had. We had like days and days of continuity where it was like fall in Canada, but they wanted it rainy. So they had rain machines on us for days and days. We had like heat pack those like shaking heater heat packs that you put in your gloves like stuck to our bodies but we had to still look like we were in the fall and we're in 1940s costumes 
So they'd had these like things to, like wrap around us to stay warm, and then they'd say, "Kate, we're gonna be shooting," and you'd take all these off, and you're like, "Oh, it's so cold." Oh yeah, and people who were on that set again, we'll talk about that for years. It was an amazing experience. People were so nice, but you're like, "Do you remember that week when we got rained on back in the day?" <laughs> Yeah, it, it, and it was you know it was, just, it was a neat experience uh, that I'll, I'll look back on, and th- there was an interesting part about that. It was my first time on set, and when I first got it, this, this is a tie-in between the first act and the second act. So this is a, a one of those unique coincidences of life, right? Synchronicities of life. When I got out of college, I was working in LA in a an area called Woodland Hills for a big accounting firm. So there's uh, uh, Deloitte and Touche was the, was the firm. I think they're just called Deloitte now. And uh, it was right after they merged. So back in the early nineties, there was a, a big, it was like eight accounting firms that were huge. And then they merged and there was six or four. And it was right after these two Deloitte and Touche had merged. And, um, Six months in, I get laid off because they had the best recruiting year ever, and they're doing. It was in the middle of a, a recession in Los Angeles, and they laid off like ten percent of the LA staff, right? Mm-hmm. And I was one of those guys who was in a little office, and they laid off like a manager and a senior and a and a, uh, a junior that I was, and there was only like three or four new hires that year, so it was like any, mini, mini, mo, and I, I got kicked. The day that I got laid off, I was at a client up in Simi Valley, and it was up on this ranch where we filmed. So literally, I I got called from this client's office. I drove out of that that office, turned the corner, went down into Simi Valley, went back to my office, and got laid off. And then I, I ended up working for Sony Pictures as an accountant and, and a couple different things. But when I went back on to, when I went to the set, this is my first day back on, or first day on set for this movie. I literally drove that same road back up and said, there's the client. There's the sign for the client that I laid off. And I drove back into this same place where I got laid off. You know, I, I left the accounting off their accounting office and I'm driving back on 30 plus years later um, onto this place called Big Sky Ranch and a few miles back in I'm like wow that is just the oddest thing my first day as an actor is was one of the last days as my as an auditor that I was working for Deloitte and Touche and uh, it, it was this weird synchronicity of life that that like gave me a little kind of chills. I love that because I think it's kind of, I love that word synchronicity. I'm I, I'm not a big like kind of frou frou, but like these things happen more often than I ever thought. And, and then when it happened, when I hear stories of it, I'm like, yeah, there we go. It's like fate, karma, synchronicity, whatever you want to call it. I become more and more um, appreciative of how the universe works, I guess, Mm -hmm. and how it can, um, how God source force higher power, whatever you want to call it has a little bit of a, uh, a humor to it. You know, your, your spirit guides are like, 
oh, this is going to crack him up. Let's let's do this. You know. <laughs> Here's the comedy break. He deserves one. <laughs> and uh, and so I, I've really uh, things like that where I just stop and go, wow, that's that's really really interesting. And uh, wow, thank you. That's a, that's a neat sign from the universe that I think I'm on the right road on this. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Do you have anything that you're looking forward to coming up? Um, I, actually, that that movie Babylon. I there. I was on set for several days. There was those two days of filming, and. There was um, another two days where they were doing a premiere and I was in a theater. And that one, um, they stuck me out front as a reporter. And so I wasn't just one of the masses in the theater. They, I had a special, uh, another costume they threw me in. And um, and so there's a couple there's a couple scenes there that, that I'm pretty sure my, my mug will get some pretty good FaceTime, right? Pretty sure. Cause the, the, the part that they were filming, I was right there, you know, and, and big widescreen right in the middle. And I, I'm looking forward to seeing how that turns out. Um, it was, it was a, um, a scene with Eric Roberts and Margot Robbie. Uh, was wow. was in it, and mm-hmm. so was Brad Pitt, but he wasn't in that particular scene. But he was there, mm-hmm. um, and so that's coming out in December of 2022, and I'm looking forward to that uh, and seeing how it how it turned out. I I had a my my big my big first on screen moment was just recently. I uh, was I did it six months ago. Um, I was a gangster in the Colombo crime family in the Paramount show, The Offer, about the making of The Godfather. Ooh, I've heard about this. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big Godfather fan myself. And um, I uh, uh, I was, uh, you know, the, in these background things, you never know what's going to happen, right? You you're out there and they go, Hey, we need somebody to do this. And they'll grab somebody that's closest to them. They'll throw them into that particular thing. And this was, um, I, uh, I was just a theater goer as a, as a crime family. That what the, the story was that when they, when they made the movie, they needed the, the crime family's um, blessing. Mm-hmm. And they all wanted to come to the premiere, and they couldn't have the gangsters coming to the Hollywood premiere or the New York City premiere. And so they set them up in a theater and gave them their own screening of the movie. And so that was this particular scene of all the gangsters coming in and 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 uh, in the theater. And so they they pile us all in. We go we go and sit down, pick a seat, and then they you know, the director comes out and the assistant director and the assistant, assistant director, and they're all standing there and they're all, okay, let's move this guy over there. and This guy over here. Oh, wait a minute. Um, that doesn't work. Let's move him over here. And they're kind of, you know, mix and matching costumes and people and male and female. And somehow I end up, you know, right, right down front sitting next to the crime boss with, you know, 
smiling and elbowing him and you know and uh i got a a, a brief moment on on screen so I'm like hey there i am awesome that's so cool i'm gonna watch it i gotta watch that keep an eye out for it the godfather gets shot and we all react and i had this great reaction mm-hmm. moment oh, God. do you have any advice for people who are thinking about going into this career or wanting a shift or a reboot? If, if you really want to do it, you got to really want to do it. And that, that sounds sort of, uh, I don't know if that sounds circular, but, um, it, it's not a, it's not a friendly profession for the faint of heart. Mm-hmm. And I always thought it was the rejection part of it, you know, like that from an outside looking in, you think, oh, I wouldn't want to do that because you, you know, you, you get rejected all the time. Well, I don't know. But at least in this eight day and age, you don't even get rejected. You just get ignored, right? You, yeah. you send in an audit, audition, and you don't even know if they watched it. You don't know if it went in. You don't know, you know. But it's just more of the you've got to be prepared mentally that you're just gonna, you're just going to keep going. You know, it's, it's sort of like a few years back, I, um, I climbed Mount Whitney. I I was listening to one of your podcasts. There's another guy on here that did that as well, but I climbed Mount Whitney and, and it was a great lesson. I, I actually wrote a few pieces and, um, on it. And it was a great day to just climb this, you know, climbing from 8,000 feet up to 14,000 feet. And you, you can't think about the end. you just got to think about the next step, you know, the next, just one foot in front of the other. And the, right near the, one of the last things you do is you, you, or the major part of this climb is climbing, you know, up, up the hill on, they call 90, 99 switchbacks. <clears throat> where you're just going back and forth and back and forth up this hill. And you can't think about how, how far up you are or how far more you have to go. You just got to keep stepping. And that's what this profession feels like. You, you've, you just choose that you're going to go there and just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And, and eventually you or I or anybody else will get a break and, and you'll get a role that becomes the, the step to the next role, which becomes the, the meeting to the next person. And um, that's been my experience as it relates to how my walk has been. And I, I'm at the beginning still. And I have to remind myself every day of that. Just, just keep, keep, putting one foot in front of the other and, um, and eventually it'll, it'll get there. Um, and, and do what you have to do to, to keep yourself motivated, to keep going. And it's okay to, it's okay for those moments when you don't feel it, you know, um, to just let that, that come upon you and proceed out.
Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And thank you, Scott, for sharing your story with us. Thank you so much for being so vulnerable. Just an absolute joy to talk to. I hope you will all tune in next week for another episode of Second Act Actors. And buy some merch. Support charities. Do some good in this crazy world. I hope you'll tune in next week. Bye. Hi, everyone. Janet McMorty here. This week's episode is sponsored by Shaw Insurance and Financial Services Incorporated. If you are looking for someone to help you with your short and long-term financial goals, retirement and estate planning, or corporate and life insurance and investing, give Mitchell Shaw at Shaw Insurance Financial Services Incorporated a call today. Everybody, this guy is the real deal. He is my financial guy. Mine. I trust him with my hard-earned money. He understands artists. He's a creative like us. He likes improv and video games. He is not your parents' finance guy. He understands you as a creative and how important your hard-earned money is. He also understands that a lot of us didn't go to finance planning school. (laughs) I went to medical school. I know how to do medical things. I don't know anything about money. A lot of you went to theater school and don't know anything about money, and that's fine. That's why he exists. He understands you and your creative brains. Give him a call. 705-325-2511. Together, you and Mitch will review your current financial picture and establish a plan to achieve your short and long-term goals. This is for Ontario residents only. Give him a call. Mitchell Shaw is his name. He's my finance guy. He's fantastic. Tell him I sent you 705. Yes, it's a 705 area code. He's up north here with me. 705-325-2511. Get your finances in order. Money is important for society. We don't have a barter system. You cannot barter your acting skills. I wish we could. Second Act Actors is produced and edited by me, Janet McMorty. Theme music by Guillaume. Additional sound editing by David Studio. Additional video editing by Jackie Wadewer. Show notes written by Sarah Hopkinson. I record using Riverside FM. If you're interested in developing an interview-based webcast like mine, I highly recommend this platform. Shoot me an email and I'll direct you to the wonderful folks there. If you or someone you know is interested in being a guest, email me at secondactactors at gmail.com. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with your friends. My love language is words of affirmation, so compliments, constructive criticism, and feedback are always welcome and encouraged. Negative Nancys, Judgy McJudgersons, or Debbie Downers, unless you're Rachel Dratch, regarding me or my guests are not welcome. It takes serious courage to share your story with the world, so if you're tempted to negatively comment about someone else's story, please ask your therapist why you're such a garbage person. Save the drama for the stage. On that happy note, I hope you'll tune in next week for another episode of Second Act Actors. Bye! Bye!